You play ball like a girl! Aren't you a girl? Gee, good eye. I'm a girl. That doesn't mean I have to wear a skirt. It's not a girl thing. It's not a boy thing. It's a skills thing. When I first started playing tennis, women weren't really encouraged to play sports, let alone excel in sports. Just want to play ball. Welcome to Ball Like a Girl. And here's your host, Olivia Stacy. Hey everyone, welcome into a new edition of Ball Like a Girl presented by Heavy.com. I'm your host, Olivia Stacy. If this is your first time joining, welcome. I'm really happy you're here. Every week we have a discussion with an influential woman in the sports landscape. In our most recent episode, I talked with National Pro Fast Pitch Commissioner Sherry Kempf, who delved into a variety of topics, including the lack of media coverage surrounding women's team sports. If you haven't had a chance to take a listen, I think you'll find Sherry's perspective really interesting. This week, I'm excited to have Paige McKenzie joining us. She was a three-time NCAA All-American at the University of Washington, went on to become an LPGA pro, and is currently a co-host on Golf Channel's Morning Drive. Paige brings such valuable insight into this week's discussion as a former athlete and current broadcaster. So I've had the pleasure of getting to know Paige on a personal level over the past few years because she's actually married to my cousin. And I was so excited she could join the podcast because every time I talk with Paige, I learn something new about golf, we always laugh, and her passion for what she does is so apparent. I find her to be a very inspirational person, and I think you will too. In this episode, she talks about making the transition from playing professionally into a broadcasting career, the challenges that women in golf face, and how she's balancing responsibilities as a new working mom. Take a listen. Well, hi, Paige. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. We're really excited to have you on. I know you're busy with your broadcasting career and as a new mom, which we'll talk about a little bit later on in the podcast, but um, we're, we're really thrilled that you're on as our guest. And I want to start off talking about when you first started to play golf. How old were you and what sparked your interest? Well, my parents both played and I can say that my entire golfing career had everything to do with them and very little to do with me. Um, when we were, I'm an older brother, and he plays as well, and he plays on the web.com tour. Um, but when we were little, they would go to the golf course, and just that was what they did as a married couple. Uh, that's how they spent their weekends. Um, they waited seven years before they had their first child, so they very much had an established routine. And so when the kids came along, it was like, well, they're coming with us because they're not going to stop us from doing what we like to do. And so when we were growing up, I have old video and it's hilarious. My mom and dad are videotaping each other's golf swings. And my brother and I are like way in the background, like just hitting <laughs> golf balls on our own. So it was never about the two of us. Uh, it was always about, you know, how much they enjoyed the game. And then it was a family thing. It was what we did on the weekend. So I was about three years old when I was introduced to it. And then I didn't really fall in love with the game until later. Um, my brother, you know, took to it a lot, a lot better than I did. But I always went with the family, and I always had a good time. But it wasn't until I started playing golf tournaments um, that I started to really love it and enjoy the competition and um, enjoy the, the process of improving. I think that's why everybody loves golf. 
Now, as you mentioned, your brother, Brock, he plays on the Web.com tour now and is a former Walker Cup participant. Since you both grew up uh, in, you know, in the golf world, was there a little sibling rivalry there? And how did you work together to improve each other's game? Yeah, it was actually, I mean, when I think back on it, we're very fortunate because my parents never let us compete against each other. Uh, It was very, like, Brock, you need to be supportive of Paige. Paige, you need to be supportive of Brock. Be happy for their successes. And so we never really had a rivalry growing up uh, at all. And then as we got older in the game, we definitely practiced a lot together. Um, Brock was older and better and hit it longer and better around the greens than I was. So I learned from him and I, I learned by watching him and I I was compared myself, you know, to what he could do and, and I wanted to be able to do it too. And actually if you look at the landscape of American, you know, women, and a lot of the best women golfers have older brothers. And it's not mm. a coincidence. Uh, when when you when you're playing with somebody that's better, stronger you often try to emulate it. And so I was fortunate because I had a role model that was a year older than me that I could try to improve. And, and like I said, I was thankful because he was encouraging of me. And you know, he's my biggest fan even to this day. Like, we have a, a great relationship. And we went to the same college. So even throughout college and into our professional career, we were very close. We always continued to practice together. You know, we'd live together for a handful of years as well, so that every off-season we would go to the same golf course together and practice, and um, no one understands the lifestyle as much as another professional golfer, and to have a sibling that is also a professional golfer, it was just, it's really comforting, because you, you, you go through this, you know, the joys and the struggles together, and you, you understand on a level that I think just your average, you know, best friend doesn't really get Right, absolutely, and you have your biggest cheerleader there as well. So that's um, that's nice that you had that positive experience with each other and pushed each other. You talked about the improvement and and how that really allowed you to to develop a passion that that process of improving as a golfer. And golf requires such a high level of mental discipline and toughness. How did you work through that aspect as an athlete, and how has that transferred now to your work as a broadcaster? Good question. Um, golf is a very cool sport. We, we, you know, I think all the golfers like to compare it. Like, it, you can't bowl a 300 in golf. There is no perfect score. And I think that's why we love it. Uh, and I, I say we, meaning, you know, all the golfers. I work now in broadcasting, and I, I get to talk to 12 handicaps about, you know, how they can break 80 for the first time. And it's the same passion and the same... Uh, love that you find in professional golfers and, and that's what's cool about the sport is that it kind of transcends whether it's amateur beginner to all the way to professional golf it's that same level of you see the potential of what it could be you have that one or two great shots you said well, wow if I could do that every single time like how good could I be and that's when I grew up in the game I actually think that helped with all aspects of my life, whether it's school or athletics, that constant yearning for how good can I be. Um, so with golf, you know, that was what motivated me to practice, and that's why the journey was so fun, is that every day you could see, okay, is this going to translate to a better score, or how can I get better in this area? And there's so many facets of the game. It was fun to try to improve. And then it was the same with, 
with school and then now in my new job, you, as you know, you, you can't perfect broadcasting. Right. You can't. There is no perfect. And it's the same type of personality. Actually, I, the people I work with, we all finished a segment. And like, oh, I could have done that better. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. I, I absolutely love that. It makes me get up every day and want to be better. And, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of people that, that have seen my progression. Like, yeah, you you're a lot you're a lot better than you used to be like well thank you and I still feel like I have a long way to go in you know kind of this new journey in the second half of of my new career well, you know, it's interesting. Some of the things that you said about your golf career remind me of not only my experience in broadcasting, but experience as a competitive figure skater. Because in that sport, perfection is very, very difficult to achieve. So I, I'm interested to hear how you balance that idea of chasing perfection, of which you know you can't ever really fully attain in that sport, with finding satisfaction in your performance. That's yeah, that's the difficulty, right? Because you need to be able to enjoy um, the process. You know, if you do win, yeah, it wasn't maybe the way that you wanted to win, but you, you got it done, so you still have to enjoy that part of it. Um, it's a it's a balance, and I don't know if... Hmm, that's a good question, because I don't know if anybody... I don't know if I could explain how... I could achieve that. Right. I, I think for me in my golfing career, I guess I, everybody talks about how important goals are, and this is a little strange, but I I set my goals, and I, I set my process goals. Like, okay, this is, you know, what I, I want to get better at my wedge play. I want to get better at my driving. But I didn't set a lot of results goals because I left open the possibility that I might achieve more than what I would write down on paper. That's a really good idea. A little right. weird. Maybe that was kind of reaching for the stars, but I also felt like that's why I was successful is that I allowed the possibility that I might achieve more than I even think possible. Um, so I think that's the, the balance of, I, I probably never looked back uh, in, into what I achieved. I didn't probably have as much satisfaction in what I did do because I was constantly striving to do something better. Um, and I, I think there's probably a lot of athletes like that. I remember you're hearing quotes of Arnold Palmer, you know, talking about how he never really looked back at what he achieved. And, and it was always just constantly trying to, you know, continue to do more. And um, I think that's okay. I, I don't know if you do end up with as much satisfaction as maybe you should have. But I think also those kind of athletes enjoy the process maybe more than the end. Mm-hmm. Well, and not wanting to, you know, that's interesting. You didn't want to limit yourself to a specific goal in hopes that you would surpass it. That's a really interesting tidbit. Um, now, on a broader scale, and, and you can, of course, individualize it with your own experiences, but what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that women in golf face? The biggest challenge, I think, is having the respect and credibility that they deserve. Uh, I think there's a balance in, in women's sports um, between marketing yourself as a female and being respected and credible as an athlete. And the most popular female athletes are typically better looking and market to that aspect. And 
I, I it's a there's a it's a broad issue, um, but I think a lot of it is that it's always women's sports and not just sports. Um, by that I mean, if you see the headline, it's you know female golfer, best female golfer instead of just best golfer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always there's a caveat, and it's not the standard; it's the other. You know, when you talk about, I remember I had a, I had a producer email me. He said, "Okay, be prepared tomorrow after the show. We're going to do post-show taping on your favorite U.S. Open memory." Okay, so I think about my own experiences in the U.S. Open, and I come with my favorite U.S. Open memory, and I, I, you know, they're taping, and I, I read it into the camera. And I think I'm done, and they go, "No, we meant men's U.S. Open." Mm. I'm like, "Well, why didn't you say men's U.S. Open?" My reference is women's U.S. Open, and when you say U.S. Open, I think women's, but. The standard is U.S. Open, and that means men. And then you have to say women's to, to mean women's. And I guess what I'm saying is that the mainstream is always men's sports, and then female women's sports is always secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I think a lot of women have to market themselves, you know, instead of in a way that's credible. Right. Now, that leads me into a question that, well, it was a situation that actually sparked some debate, and that was the LPGA announcement of a new dress code policy in July. And that placed more restrictions on what female golfers can wear at tournaments and events. This summer, we saw that, you know, really take off on social media. People, a lot of people in the golf world were upset about it. Um, some even said the policy was body shaming women. But, you know, I want your take on it. Why do you feel the LPGA is cracking down on what professional women golfers can wear? And what are your thoughts? You know, there's been, this has been a long process. This was not just a, like, one right. day they decided to change the dress code policy. It's been a long process. I, even when I was playing, it was a topic of conversation, it seemed like, every year. And I think the biggest thing is we are professionals first, and when you walk into a law office, you see a certain uniform, you see a certain dress code um, that's appropriate for that workplace. And I think that's the only the only thing that's being said here is that there should be a professional standard for how you should look on the golf course. And I, I think it was blown into this huge thing that it shouldn't have been blown into. Uh, I think it really the, the bottom line is the LPGA wanted their professional athletes to look professional and to not look, um, I don't know, a better word, but like they're selling themselves Mm -hmm. or that it's not something you would find at a country club. It's a country club sport. Um, The reality is a lot of what women were wearing and still even now wouldn't be acceptable at a normal golf course that you would go out to play at. So I think that's all it was. It was just a, a guideline of what there, you know, can dress within, but it has more to do with professionality than or professionalism than anything else. Right. And, and that does differ, though, from how a lot of female golfers market themselves and even sometimes the images that we see on the cover of golf magazines of women. Do you hope to see that change, you know, to, to have women who appear on these magazine covers and, and dress in a way that, that is, is similar to you know, to men, where, where they aren't necessarily as sexualized, I guess, for lack of a better term? Uh, I, I, I ride the fine line of I, I don't want women athletes to be looked at too sexually to lose 
the credibility. And I think with some of the choices that some golf magazines have made, it it begs the question of, are the athletes feeding this, or is the society saying this is what is rewarded? Mm-hmm. And, and I think in a lot of ways, this is what society is rewarding, so that's why athletes are doing it a certain way, or you know, dressing a certain way, or acting a certain way on social media. Um, it's because that's what society is rewarding, or that's what magazines are rewarding, instead of actual accomplishment, which I think for most serious athletes, they just want to be respected for the accomplishments and the time that they put in for their craft. And that's what I wish. That's what I wish for female sport, is that it will get to a level where accomplishment and will override marketability. You know, that will be enough to be marketable. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do this to create, you know, attention. And don't get me wrong, a lot of the best most popular male athletes are good looking. So it's not taking away from it, mm-hmm. but you still get your not as good looking guys respected and they still make covers of magazines. So I'm not saying that it's one or the other, but I'm saying that you have your first priority and your second priority. And the first priority, I think, should always be achievement for what these athletes have gone through, what they've achieved, what they've put the time in for first and then if they happen to be good looking too then yeah you can celebrate that too don't take it away from them but um i think in female oftentimes it's the reverse of those priorities you, you phrased that so well. It's a really good way to, to look at it and to, to put into perspective. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit more about your broadcasting career. You're a co-host on Golf Channel's Morning Drive. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you transitioned from golf to the TV side of the business. Well, I, I got a phone call, and I said yes. And it was really as simple as that. I was in the middle of my playing career. I think it was 2013. Um or maybe, yeah, I think it's 2013. I had a year, Golf Central, the evening show called for a week, and I was terrible. I, I really hoped the Golf Channel burned some tapes. I was not good. <laughs> but at the same time, Golf Channel did not have a regular studio female analyst. And so six months later, and, and Molly Solomon at Golf Channel has been wonderful, her, the executive producer there, she set me up with a broadcasting coach, uh, Larry King, who I worked with a couple of times over the phone, just in that next six months. And I learned, you know, some things to think about, really kind of marinated on, you know, different items that we discussed over the phone. And then six months later, I got a phone call from Morning Drive, and it was a totally different feel. I mean, it's a different environment. I love the morning show. I love the people I work with. It's an ensemble cast. It's slower paced. So you get time to elaborate and really make your point. And it's a little more viewer-focused, and less intense analysis about the professional athlete, which I enjoy as well. I really, you know, enjoy kind of teaching the audience versus just dictating to them, like, well, this is my opinion on what what happened here. Uh, so it was a totally different vibe, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, and the producer at the time, you know, said, hey, you know, we'll have you as often as you're willing, willing to come in. And I was still competing full-time, and then it turned out I ended up having to have back surgery six months later and um, was able to utilize that and actually come in uh, several times the next year. So it was, it was a fortuitous back surgery in the end because I, after the surgery, I didn't really want to come back full-time to competing. I knew that golf was causing damage 
cue my back. I knew I was towards the end of my career anyway, and this was just a great opportunity. And, and Golf Channel was looking for a female analyst uh, for their studio shows. So it, it all worked out. But it was funny, that very first week, I have to tell this story because <laughs> I get a kick out of it. Um, again, I was competing full-time. They asked me to come in as a guest host. So I'm thinking, okay, what a great you know opportunity for exposure, new experience. I always say yes. Right. So I, I'm flying to Orlando, and I'm kicking myself, going, why am I doing this? Like, this is my week off. This is the start of my off season. I don't know why I'm doing this. Right. So we finished the week. I don't feel like I did very well. And then they called, and they're like, hey, we need your social security number. Like, And in my head, I'm like, wait, they're paying me. <laughs> I didn't think, I literally didn't think I was getting paid for the work that I did. I just thought I was going into the guest house, like, for fun. And I was totally okay with that. So... I feel so thankful because I literally am doing a job I would do for free. Right. Like, oh, wait, I I actually get paid for this? Great news. Um, Well, it's so funny to hear you say that you think that you were terrible on on your first uh, appearance because when I watch you now, you're extremely natural on the air and you seem really at ease. Um, So actually, a question for me was, did that come naturally to you? And and you explained some of your preparation with having a coach. but, you know, they're also on the back end of things that we don't see, you know, as viewers of your program is the hours you spend preparing for your broadcast. You have such an early wake up call every day. But I want you to kind of take us through what a typical day looks like for you when you're on the air, including that preparation that goes on behind the scenes. Sure, absolutely. So we our show is seven days a week. So the early part of the week is a, actually a lot different than the later part of the week because the golf uh, broadcaster on Thursday through Sunday. So those days are much longer. Um, so I'll take you through like a typical Thursday. Perfect. Uh, if we have a seven to seven to nine show, which is very normal for our show, then I'm up at three or now with the baby, I'm up at like two thirty. <laughs> I'm out of the house by three thirty. And then I drive to work. I'm in the office by four and we go into hair and makeup for thirty minutes. And then we have a 4.30 meeting with all the talent producers and go through a typical rundown, which for a two-hour show, we usually only have a 30-minute meeting and just hit very broad topics. So, you know, we're not a scripted show. It's 100% live, but we know what direction we're going. And so the producers set out, okay, this first block, we're going to talk, you know, Tiger Woods' return, and then we'll go around the circle and get kind of everybody's, like, feel, like, is this the appropriate topic? Is this what, you know, do we have different varying opinions? We want to make sure, you know, it's good television as well. We don't want everybody to get up there and agree on everything. And so everyone does usually come with a different perspective. And then after the meeting, I finish up with hair and makeup, and then uh, a lot of what I do is viewer-focused. So if, if I'm talking about Tiger Woods, I might look at a driver swing and explain you know, something that he's doing here that I feel like can help the average golfer. And so what I'll do is I'll work with the PAs and they'll pull the video and then I'll work with the editor in these little edit bays. And if we have to draw lines or slow-mo swings or do anything like that, we prep all our video beforehand. And so that's a lot of what I'm doing pre-show mm-hmm. is uh, a lot of the video breakdowns. And it's not the producer that gets the video. We, as the, the talent on air, call for the video. So we'll email in at a time saying, hey, look, this is what I'm looking for. 
in that way that the PAs can pull in for us. So our show is very, I, I feel like it's very talent-driven because um, we have a lot of input into the content of the show versus a lot of other shows that are more pr- producer-driven. So then we usually make it down on the set by 6.30, and if we have highlights that we have to see or other video uh, that we need to to see beforehand, we can do that. And then we go live on 7, and then I'll go home. We have a, we have a post-show meeting, and I'm home for a couple hours, and usually golf starts at 1 p.m. or 3 p.m. And then I'll watch you know, three to five hours of golf in the afternoons, and then I write my nightly email that would be requesting all the video that I do want to see the next morning. So it, there, I work literally the opposite of 9 to 5. I work right. before 9 and after 5. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, well, it's um, – you know, you talked about how talent-driven the show is, and that's really interesting to hear. I think a misconception that I even get, um, even though my role is different than your than what you're doing, is is that uh, producers write your script, or you know, for me when I'm sidelining, they think that someone is in my ear telling me what questions to ask. And I always tell people, no, <laughs> we have to come up with the questions and, and a lot of the content ourselves. So I'm happy you broke that down um, for our listeners. Social media is also such a huge aspect of your job as an on-air personality. What is your approach to it? And specifically, how do you handle people who may criticize your work? Well, I actually can credit Twitter for part of the reason why I even have a job. So I mentioned I had the first week I did Golf Central. Six months later, Morning Drive called. It was a new producer. He had never seen my, like I said, terrible video from six months before. <laughs> he had heard my name in the building, and they were looking for a female to come in to, to work US Open coverage. And so he he looked at my Twitter feed, and that's why he determined to call me. Wow. He said, you seem smart, you seemed interesting, you seemed funny, you had personality. Because I asked him, I had built this whole website, I put video, YouTube videos on there with swing tips. I'm thinking, like, maybe he, he stumbled across the website and, like, nope, had nothing to do with that. It was literally, he said, he looked at my Twitter feed and he's like, you seem like a okay girl that invite us you know, on the show. <laughs> Whatever works. Um, so for me, Twitter is that. It, it was always an outlet on, on showing my personality, I think. Especially when I was playing, you don't get an opportunity to really showcase who you are as a person. It's very much who you are on the golf course, which... Anybody that knows anything about professional golf or professional sports, probably in general, who I am inside the ropes actually is not at all who I am outside the ropes. I was very serious on the golf course, very intense. I feel like I'm not the same person, you know, off the golf course, which mm-hmm. I may have been a better golfer had I been able <laughs> to transfer more of my personality into my playing days. But uh, that's how that was my outlet for, for Twitter. And now, you know, in my role at Golf Channel, I try to be a little more news-oriented. I don't share as much personal as I did when I was playing um, because I feel like the reason people follow me now is because I work for Golf Channel because I do distribute, you know, news and content Mm -hmm. for the network. So I am a little more news-oriented, I think, now on Twitter. I, I still give my personal, you know, fun things. I've shown a few pictures of my son on there. Uh, you know, I try to have fun with it, but I definitely have like a different, more professional probably view of Twitter now that I actually right. represent uh, my role on Golf Channel. That's so interesting. Goes to show negative, as far as negative Twitter goes. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, that was actually a warning to me um, from my bosses when I first started. 
they said, you're going to get negative feedback. The best thing you can do is not, not read it. Mm-hmm. And it comes through. Like, you can't not read it. But I've just learned that the people that write negative things on Twitter must have something wrong with what's going on in their day. Yes. You know, it takes a lot of effort to actually criticize somebody else on social media. And I just don't try to put too much, you know, mm-hmm. weight into to what I read that's negative because it takes a lot of effort to, to really feel like you need to, you know, bring somebody down. And I'm like, well, something else is going on in their life that they feel that they need to do that. I'm not going to stoop down to that level. Right. Your time and energy is well spent in other areas, I'm sure. But I love that story about how, you know, your your personality was was revealed by Twitter. So I, I was just going to say it goes to show that a little bit of wit and personality on Twitter <laughs> could go a long way. That's a really interesting story. <laughs> I love that. Um, I know, right? That, that's awesome. And and then you, you mentioned, of course, that, you know, you have this adorable son, Beckett, now, <laughs> and who, in my opinion, is just the cutest little guy. Um, you're recently back to work, you know, so I want to uh, touch upon, you know, how that's been to balance the responsibilities as a working mom. I know right now it's a little bit of a slower season for you at the Golf Channel, but still it's a very demanding job, uh, two very demanding jobs. So how has that been for you? You know, it's funny. I didn't realize how much I missed work until I went back. You know, I I think it's probably a lot of parents can relate. Um, You get in a little baby bubble and, you know, having such a young infant, it is a 24-hour job and you give and you give and you give. And um, I, I didn't realize how much and how important, I guess, it was to also work. And I, I, I feel like less of a mom saying that. I'm sure a lot of working moms feel that way. But I, I need to have an outlet outside of just being a mom 24-7. And I didn't realize how important that was, I guess, to my own sanity and to my own just feeling of self-worth. Um, until I went back to work, and it was so much fun. I mean, I, I went back in the office, and I got to see, you know, all my coworkers, but also all my friends, and have adult conversation, and, and drink a coffee in, in less than 30 seconds. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and so it it just made me feel like myself again. And it, I, I loved being a mom, and I wouldn't trade the first, you know, several months of maternity leave where I got to spend every single minute with him. I would never trade that because it's so important for him and, you know, his development. I, I, you know, look forward to having another child and doing it all over again. But it is also very important for me, as I've learned, to to be working. And, mm-hmm. and it's something I love to do. And it makes me happy as well. So, um it's been an interesting transition because that was a learning experience for me. I didn't expect to have those feelings when I went back to work. And then you have the added challenge of having a baby and working. And that is uh, something I'm still trying to figure out. And in daycare, and, and do I get a nanny? Do I, I, you know, obviously I work weird hours. So, right. um, you know, my husband's got to pick up the slack. And it's, uh, that's a whole juggling 
act in itself. And I, I'll get back to you when I figure that, <laughs> that part out. <laughs> well, it seems like you're doing an amazing job, which is why I asked the question, because, you know, I, I know you're handling both responsibilities beautifully. Um, and I saw that Beckett has already been on the course, <laughs> just in a baby carrier for now. But how excited are you to one day share golf with him? And that's something that you can certainly look forward to, whether you just play, you know, for fun or if he picks it up as a sport. But I'm sure you're you're excited to share that with him one day. You know, it's it really has hit home. You know, when I think about how my parents took my brother and I out when we were little, and they got to share their passion of golf with us, how excited they must have seen to see our face light up when you hit a good shot, or when we hit a good shot. And I, I always knew I would look forward to teaching, if you know, if I was blessed with children, that I would always look forward to it. Well, it really has come home when I get a chance to see him. Like, in the, yeah, he was just in the stroller, but he was with me on the golf course. I can't wait. Um, it's, it's so exciting to think about, you know, I know what his face looks like when he's happy now. Like, I know how stable <laughs> is. Like, I can't wait to see that reaction when he gets a golf ball well. And I know how much quality time I spent with my parents and my brother on the golf course. And I can't wait for the opportunity to be able to spend that same kind of hours and hours and hours and weekends and weekends and weekends um, with him. I mean, I certainly hope he takes the golf um, so that, that that is a possibility. But yeah, I just, it's so rewarding to see him happy. Um, I really hope that sharing, you know, golf with him will have that same reaction um, as he does right now when he just, you know, watches the dog run across the floor. <laughs> right. <laughs> the simple thing. <laughs> Well, to, to cap off our interview, um, just one one last question for you. What advice would you share for women out there who want to get involved in some capacity in, in the sports profession, whether that be you know on the broadcasting side or um, or management, you know, anything that you've learned being involved in so many different sides um, as an athlete now as a broadcaster that you can share with women out there? Yeah, I, I think the first thing is there's opportunity for women in sports. I think that that there's one thing it's not been a disadvantage for me at all to be a female in in the sports world uh if anything it's been an advantage because it i think administrations and um bosses across different landscapes are very aware of getting females involved and getting smart talented females in as part of you know their hiring workforce so i think number one is don't be intimidated by it there is opportunity out there. And number two is you may have to work harder once you get the opportunity. Uh, and that's, that's one of the things I found in my role is that I feel I'm under a little more scrutiny uh, in my job as a woman than as a man. I think it, it was helpful to get the job that I was a woman, but I also feel like the, maybe the burden is a little bit more. But I love the challenge. And, and I think that's the biggest key is, is enjoy the challenge of that and work hard because it's also easier to impress when you're a female that knows sports. It's very impressive still to this day, even though I very obvious there's a lot of women that love sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still think it's, it means more when you have a really smart, talented female talking at the same level as a man. I think it still to this day uh, stands out. So I think there's incredible opportunity if you work hard and are confident in what you do. 
Well, Paige, great advice. Thank you for sharing your insight on so many facets of golf and sports broadcasting. And even as a new mom, uh, we really appreciate your time. And I know that you have some time off, so I don't want to uh, take up too much more of your time. But thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, this was fun. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Olivia. Anytime. I'd love to, I'd love to be back. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. We'll have you back soon. <laughs> Another huge thanks to Paige for joining us. Next week, I'm talking with a few members of the U.S. women's national hockey team as they prepare for the Winter Olympics. These women are fierce, on and off the ice. Next week, we'll discuss their fight for equitable support and pay, how they're training for the upcoming Olympics, and what we all can do to change the conversation surrounding women in sports. These women offer a very compelling discussion, so make sure you hit that subscribe button on iTunes so you don't miss it next week. In the meantime, we'd love to continue this conversation with you on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Let us know your thoughts on the podcast. We always love your feedback. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening to Ball Like a Girl, presented by Heavy.com, and happy holidays, everyone.